Richard Sherman might not ruin our careers, Bob, but this podcast might, which is just about the cheesiest way to start a podcast. But that's sort of where we are at this point in the season. We're grasping for straws here. I'm Jason Jenks with here with Bob Condota of the Seattle Times. Obviously, the big talker this week and probably will be the talker for, for quite a while is the Richard Sherman not only blow up on the sideline of Thursday night's game against the Rams after the Seahawks almost threw an interception from the one yard line. But then his follow-up comments, in which he referenced the Super Bowl loss against the Patriots, said he wanted the Seahawks to run the ball, and then his sort of double-down press conference that he had on Tuesday, in which he basically didn't back down from anything and said he potentially maybe would react the same way if the Seahawks uh, threw it from the one-yard line again. whole lot to unpack here. We've talked about this now for a couple of days. What's your biggest takeaway from sort of this whole saga as it's carried on? Well, I, I think this will be one of the biggest challenges of how together this team is. This team is, is really likes to thrive on this. We were talking to Doug Baldwin today, and he sort of referenced the fact that we've been through things like this a lot. And they have. I mean, there's been all kinds of, uh, you know, Percy Harvin and things we didn't even know about, fights before the Super Bowl and all this kind of stuff. Um, this one is so public, though, so well discussed and involves so many kind of people on the team and comes at a time when this team is really at um, something of a crossroads, I think, in terms of where everything is headed, that uh, I, I think that really puts a lot more um, emphasis on how a lot more of a focus, I guess, on how this team comes out and plays Saturday than might normally be for a game like this. It's interesting because this team has been sort of a circus uh, for the last several years now, and they have almost kind of seem to enjoy that chaos I was actually talking to one of their defensive players and I, I was explaining that I thought that they were like in movies when the spaceship is like flying down through orbit and it's on fire and like pieces of the spaceship are flying off and you have no idea if it's going to crash or land and the top, all of a sudden it lands and the top flies open and the people have poked their head out and it's like steaming and they're like oh my god we made it that's what almost every season that we've covered this team sort of feels like like it's at any moment it could completely fall apart and it wouldn't be that surprising but somehow pete carroll is always able to manage just to get the ship on the ground but do you think this is his biggest test so far? Yeah, I think it is. I, I think for a number of reasons, because I don't think the team is necessarily as good either. I mean, just that, just the sort of um, uh, margin for error that they have just as a football team, I think is a little bit smaller. And then you throw things like this in, they, they, they sort of, I feel like, need everybody, all hands on deck, sort of kind of working, working together for the common goal as well as they can, more so even than in some of those other years. And uh, I think that I think that will make this that much more of a challenge. And, you know, the other interesting thing about just this particular team is it's been together for a while now. Pete Carroll didn't have to deal with that at USC, where players sort of come and go. You, you ride a, a certain core group of players for two or three years. They sort of max out, then they move on. Um, you know, he, he was there for nine years, sort of like three or four different eras at USC. Um, but with this team, you know, it's it's basically been the same about seven or eight guys for about five years now and who are, who, who are really the leaders of the team at this point. And so sort of keeping that together, I mean, that's who you're really talking about is, is involved in a lot of this. And obviously Richard Sherman, who's such a key guy of it. And, you know, then there's also the subtext that for Sherman, this has been an awful lot of incidences this year. And Which is know, funny because he had been, when you, the last couple of years, he had been relatively kind of controversy free, or at least I would say controversy limited. But this year, it seems like it kind of just keeps popping up. And really, the, what's so different about this one is two very public sideline blowups against his own team. When you think back to the Aaron Andrews 
interview, the kind of most famous thing, he was going after someone else. He yeah. was going after someone else on some other team. His teammates, it was easy for them to rally around him and defend him and and say, oh, that's just Sherm being Sherm. And we've kind of gotten that same reaction from guys in the locker room publicly, but you have to wonder if, if especially on the offensive side of the ball, if there's any, uh, I guess, kind of hard feelings over the fact that he went after the offense. I mean, that essentially that was kind of what he was criticizing. Uh, that Not essentially, that is what he was criticizing. Yeah, and, you know, while most guys said the right things today, and Russell Wilson certainly did, Doug Baldwin talked to reporters for a little while, and, and he was pretty measured in some of his comments. And, he, you know, he did flat out say that he didn't really feel like it was appropriate for a player to bring up the Super Bowl play. And Daryl Bevel said the and same thing. And then Daryl Bevel, yeah. I was just going to mention that. And then Daryl Bevel also said the same thing. And, and I think they do feel like there was a line crossed there. But is it just a line that's crossed one time? Is it like throwing a punch in practice or something like that? You know, people say, yeah, you're not supposed to do that, but then you do it and you kind of cooler heads prevail. You talk about it, you move on. Um, certainly people have sort of tried to portray it that way. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll put a very, as you would expect, um, sort of rosy glow on it all. And then Richard Sherman in his press conference yesterday, which was very different in tone, but he said that, you know, he said he felt it was a good meeting and everybody's ready to move on. Um, you know, we'll really know, I guess, in a month or two here when, when the postseason is done, but I think we'll get a good glimpse of this Saturday against the Cardinals as well. You know, this team has always been able to sort of put those things aside. Um, you know, I remember after the, you know, in 2014, after the Percy Harvin trade, they'd lost to St. Louis, St. Louis, or the Sports Illustrated basically buried them on the cover. They went to Carolina, played a really tough game, but were able to rally in the fourth quarter and win it, and then only lost like one more time the rest of the year. Um, you know, this team has always been able to do that. So can this team still do it? I think that makes these last two regular season games a lot more intriguing than maybe we would have thought they'd be. It's, you know, one of the, the most interesting things about Pete Carroll's tenure and one of the most talked about things is that the leniency he gives his players to be themselves and to express their opinions and all of that type of stuff. It's harder to, this is, this is the blowback of that though. This, this is kind of what comes out of that a little bit is that when you give guys the leniency to express themselves and to kind of be who they are and that sort of the idea that it, it seems kind of like every opinion matters the same that you, you kind of get this kind of pushback sometimes. I mean, to me, that's one of the things that's sort of interesting about this is you now have a guy like Sherman who has been under Pete Carroll for a long time now. And to me, what's most interesting about this is him kind of like t testing those limits publicly. You know, I think Pete gives those guys a lot of latitude in, in meetings with him and in team meetings and stuff like that to speak freely and, you know, to be kind of critical and stuff like that. We've heard different stories about that over the years, but this is so public to me that I think this makes us a really interesting one of how Pete Carroll is going to handle this. And we talked to, we'll talk to him on Friday or on, I guess on Thursday after the Sherman press conference, his tone will be really fascinating because he had basically kind of essentially said that Richard, uh, you'll be interested when you guys speak to Richard later, you'll, you know, I'll let Richard speak for himself. And it, it kind of felt like to me, like Pete Carroll was saying, Hey, Richard Sherman's going to probably come out and, and smooth things over, and this will kind of, you know, we'll move past this or whatever. That was not the tone of the press conference at no, all. No, you're exactly right. Pete not only said that to us, he said it on his radio show as yep. well. And I, I I took it, I think everybody did, took it as that. And I, I know I was ready. I was sort of, I, I sort of even thought that Sherman might have a little bit of a prepared statement or something yep. like that. Like, you know, hey, I sort of, I, I regret what happened, yada, yada, yada. I'll answer questions about it, but I hope we can move on and et cetera and have, have a pretty conciliatory apology 
unapologetic tone. And he didn't have any of that. And he sort of had the tone that we uh, often sometimes get from, from Sherman, where it's obvious he sort of is, is going to be defiant in his answers about it. And, you know, and that ended up sort of culminating in something that almost overshadowed all of it was his uh, interaction with Jim Moore, of a, yep. of a longtime journalist here, now a radio talk show host. And, um, you know, nationally, that's, that's what it's being known, what's it's being most known for. I think, I think most of us who are in the room didn't take that as like the primary thing that happened. I there. didn't think it was, I thought it was, I, you knew it was going to be a headline because of the, I'll ruin your career thing. And I, you know, Richard said he regretted that. And, and that was probably, that was over the line uh, for sure. But I think all of us thought that was sort of a secondary little kind of juicy thing that, you know, people would, people would enjoy or people would, you know, have their opinion on or something. But to me, that was not, that's kind of the ice cream of the thing. The the real meat and potatoes is I think his press conference and what happened before that and his lack of, uh, any type of apology or, or remorse or back down. Yeah, I would agree totally. I, I think there was far more that could be impactful to the organization long term and how he handled everything up until that, even if it's that part that, as you say, sort of has a nice headline that's really interesting and stuff like that. But I think that the fact that um, Sherman, I don't want to say he was defiant toward Carol, because I guess we don't know for sure what Carol thought he was going to say, but certainly I think it was different different than what he portrayed. And I've got to imagine that's not what he was hoping, how, yes. how he was hoping Richard Sherman would handle that. I'm sure he was hoping Richard would handle it in a manner that all questions would be answered. He wouldn't even have to deal with it when we talk, when he ever talks to us again um, after this, and it wouldn't be something that would linger. And instead, it basically went the, uh, the exact opposite way, leading to even more and more stories about all of it. And it'll be something that will sort of continue to linger, I guess, until they get to a point where they've done enough or there's no more incidents or whatever. But, you know, there's also just the practical standpoint, though, I, as we were saying earlier, I mean, Richard's had a few incidents this year yeah. I, it's it's kind of hard to put your finger on why necessarily i mean this is all bubbling up but you know there could be that idea that everybody sort of understands that this core group might only have a couple of opportunities left um to really maximize what this team could do they feel like they sort of blew one against the patriots a couple of years ago to really put themselves in sort of an elite nfl historical uh category is this year's team going to be brought down a little bit by the offense and its issues and and all of that and is that is that all sort of burbling kind of bubbling up up to the bubbling up to the surface and Sherman's frustration is sort of, uh, you know, the biggest manifestation of that. Look, the, on the last point on this, the one, I think the big concern that everyone's have having and everyone's wondering is whether this is indicative of an offense versus defense split at all. I think that's, we've, we saw just this last week in Denver, they had a, a locker room incident with actually Russell Okun yeah. and, and Akib Tlaib and kind of the defense being upset that the offense wasn't putting up more points and wasn't was costing them games. I think that is a very real concern to come out of this. If whether this creates that everyone is saying the right things right now. And so that's, I guess the first positive sign, but as we know, this is the type of thing that we probably won't hear about most likely until after the season, if there is an issue, I mean, they can say all the right things now and that's the way they have to do it. And maybe it will all be smoothed over, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't an issue just because they're publicly saying the right things. This is a savvy group. They know how the media works. They know how, what they have to say. Um, I do think that is a really very real concern to come out of this. Probably in my opinion, the single biggest concern is that they're 
potentially is kind of a rift brewing between the offense and the defense. Yeah, and you know, and that's one of those things you, you could maybe see coming with the way this team has had to make some moves or just things have happened the last couple of years. Marshawn Lynch retiring, really the, the heartbeat of the offense there for a couple of years. They could really lean on him, um, took a lot of pressure off of the offense. They've made a lot of financial decisions that have sort of favored the defense, which I would imagine maybe is almost one of those things Pete Carroll might have told Richard Sherman is, look, you can be mad at the offense yeah. if you want, but but count up your salary, Earl Thomas's, Cam Chancers, Bobby Wagner's, KJ Wright's, Michael Bennett's, Cliff Averill's, and that's where that's why they've had to make some moves that you know they they sort of decided to keep um, more of the defensive guys. Not that they necessarily were even favoring the defense. I think it's just what who it made sense for their who best, their players, best were. players were. Yep. That they that every time those contracts they had make to make contracts decisions, it made sense to keep those guys versus some other guys. But it has created a a salary cap structure that is balanced that is more heavily tilted toward the defense and I think this is the first year you've really seen that sort of come to fruition a little bit especially with the offensive line which is you know by far the lowest paid offensive line in the NFL and then just the running back position which also you know doesn't really have a proven veteran like Marshawn Lynch despite what Thomas Rawls and his potential and everything that he has done at times so you know I think you could maybe see that coming a little bit then you throw Russell Wilson's injuries into it and you sort of have what you have Um, but you know, there's nothing they can do about any of that right now either. So they've got to just figure out some way to sort of accept all that, live with it. And, you know, if the defense has to do a little bit more at times, it's it's just sort of how this particular team this year is built. So despite that, they are have they have two games left. They're in very good position to get the number two <laughs> seed in the NFC. And they're probably going to finish the year 11-4-1. So... As much as this year's been a circus, they're in a position where before the season, I think most people would have, if you would have said, oh, the Seahawks are going to go 11, 4, and 1 and have the number two seed, you'd say, okay, that sounds about right. That was a pretty good, that's a pretty good year for them. It's felt much stranger than that, but here we sit two games left. They're kind of right where you sort of would have thought they would be, aren't they? Yeah, no doubt. I, it just, it has been a little bit more meandering of a season, I guess, because, uh, you know, in each of, in 12, 14 and 15, they were sort of finishing on a real high. And then in 13, they were sort of just good from the start. Yeah. It started out 11 and one and lost a couple of games when it didn't really seem to matter that much in December. But, um, you know, this year they have, you know, not, a, not a great start, sort of ride the ship a little bit. It, it's never felt like this team has hit one of those same sort of strides the way those other teams have, which was why I thought the Green Bay loss two weeks ago was sort of so shocking and, and everything was because you sort of felt like maybe they were starting to get on that. And then they have the worst loss they've had in five years, um, which is why I do think these last two games, it's pretty important not just to win them, but you know, I, you can't just beat San Francisco 10 to six or something like that. I mean, I think they, they are going to want to want to win these games in as clean of a fashion as they can to sort of show that they're they're hitting that stride a little bit because that has what they've always done before they've sort of ridden that momentum into the playoffs and uh, i think this team needs that right now have i mentioned my sea biscuit theory before have we talked about that you, you've mentioned it on this very podcast i thought before. so yeah i i still think that's like a legitimate thing that i think this team like for most of this season, especially down the stretch, they've not only not had any competition in the NFC West. And Pete they, Carroll they, mentioned that the other day, too. They, they also it. haven't had any in just, I mean, Dallas has been kind of so far ahead of them that, yeah, they theoretically could catch them. But that was even kind of such a long shot that you have to wonder if, like, any part of them is, has kind of been lulling until the playoffs. I know we sort of talked about this before, but I, it just seems like... There hasn't been that normal kick in that we've seen, and maybe that's just because, like you said, they're not as talented of a team as they have been roster wise. But you also have to wonder maybe if there's some of those outside factors too. Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I would agree with all that. I, 
I struggled to think of like a a game where I felt like, well, they didn't, you know, that game was because they knew they didn't have to win it because right. Arizona was falling apart or whatever. Um, you know, I sort of struggle with that slightly. You know, if you really break it down each week and stuff like that, I mean, it's a convenient might, excuse. Yeah, yeah but I, but I would agree with you. I mean, they haven't had that. Pete Carroll talked about that. You know, every other year they sort of felt like there was someone breathing down their neck. Or last year they were chasing Arizona all season long. But you know, even in 2013 when they got off to the great start, San Francisco was right there. They knew they had to. You know, I don't think they ever necessarily felt comfortable, even though they they were in a good spot the entire season but you know it wasn't until the last weekend of the season that they that they clinched everything um you know this year's team i mean i think we've been saying it for a month now they were going to win the division so despite whatever issues came up and games they lost it was sort of like in the big picture it didn't matter and so who knows maybe maybe that has been a part of it maybe they went to green bay and it's sort of like hey you know it'd be great if we win it but it's not vital like it might have been in years past and that that ends up that ends up sort of culminating in what did. I guess we'll see. I uh, I might have even said the same thing before, but in some ways this team reminds me of like the 1980 Sonics after they had won the title in 79, gotten there in 78, and they, they sort of meandered through the season as well. And I, I just remember as a kid reading all the stories, and I was always like, well, we'll turn it on when we need yep. to. And they and they fell behind in a playoff series against Milwaukee, and they sort of did that. They they were able to rally and win it, but you sort of felt like, hey, they can do this. But uh, you know, there was part of you that also watched them and just thought, you know, that's just it's not, not as easy. Right. Easy to yeah. see, easy to do, as as they talk about, and then they got into the Western Conference Finals and just got steamrolled by the Lakers, which was a great Lakers team, as it turned out. But at the time, you were sort of, you know, it was sort of that that thing of well, we just couldn't turn it on when we needed to finally. And I just don't think that's quite, you know, I think it's one of those things that you say sometimes when you're grasping for reasons why why uh, why things are going the way the way they're going. But you know, for this week, I mean. I, I do think Arizona – I think Arizona is going to bring it despite the fact they're out of the playoffs and all that. I think Arizona is going to look out there, see it's the Seahawks. Yep. It was really interesting today. Uh, Carson Palmer was on the conference call and, and just talking about how much he actually really likes. He said CenturyLink Field's his favorite uh, field to play in. And fans might think, well, wow, because it's so hard to play in. He said that's exactly it. He said he loves the challenge of it. He said he loves the atmosphere. He said when you can go in there and win, which they've done two of the last three years, it's like no better feeling in the world than winning a game in a regular season in a setting like that and I think there's enough sort of veteran pride over there and you know they had this great game with the Seahawks great in an interesting way anyway in the tie game a couple of months ago which I think they feel is was a real turning point in a negative way for their season so I think there's gonna be an interesting test for the Seahawks Sunday or Saturday so if the Richard Sherman situation is the kind of biggest chemistry concern or, or whatever to me the biggest concern pretty obviously on the field stuff is the offensive line and they still they're going to start Gary Gilliam at right tackle in place of Bradley Sal who had replaced Gary Gilliam yeah. just a few weeks ago still shuffling the offensive line here we are with two games left in the season um, they can kind of put whatever spin they want on it in terms of uh, they both have experience and we're still looking and always competing and all that type of stuff this is not a good thing no no, not at all. I mean, you, they had to have hoped that Bradley Sal was going to come back and just kind of take that job and run with it. Obviously, they hoped Gilliam would do that in the first place, and they would never have had to make that move. Uh, you know, if you're, I mean, if you're looking for the silver lining, and we talked to Gary Gilliam for a while, um, a, f- a few of us in the locker room, and you know, he sort of said exactly what you would expect. A couple of weeks off, he was, you know, he was completely inactive for two weeks, so he had two games where he just stood there knowing he wasn't going to play, and you know, it sort of makes you reevaluate things. You sort of look at things differently. You come 
come back a little with a little bit of a different mindset. That's what they have to hope is that maybe you sort of catch lightning in a bottle there. It was interesting. I, I, I asked Gilliam about his health because they've sort of talked about that, that maybe his knee and stuff like that. And he completely downplayed that. And he said that's never been an issue for him this year. So I was almost trying to give him the out there. Of, yeah. Well, these because I, I was asking it in part because I was like, well, did a month away allow your body to get uh, to a point where, uh, you know, maybe that wasn't an issue? And he was like, no, he's like, I, you know, I haven't had any of that. So, um, but you know, if he's, they, they talked, it was interesting because Gilliam brought it up himself when, uh, talking about, well, what did they want you to sort of, sort of, um, um, get better at during the couple of weeks. And he said, well, I know everyone's throwing around physicality, which is what Tom Cable had said. And, you know, he, he said for him, it's, he's, he's, he, he's felt like he's always been sort of a real cerebral player and he's going to have to be less of that. And he's hoping that he can sort of take that, what he's, what he feels like he's tried to do in terms of an attitude mindset change these last few weeks in practice and, and go do that. Uh, Arizona is a, is a really good defensive front among the things that they've, they, in fact, their entire defense. You look at their stats; it's really interesting. There's, there, a lot of their stats are almost better than the Seahawks, and yet they give up a touchdown more a game, which is just sort of they give up. They've been giving up a lot of inopportune big plays and and uh, um, and things like that. But running the ball against these guys is not going to be easy. Pass blocking against these guys is not going to be easy. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll find out pretty early, I guess, if Gary Gilliam's really much of a different player. Well, it's been a it's been a weird and strange season, and I'm guessing that it's probably not done yet, being that way. So there will be plenty more to talk about after the Seahawks take on uh, the Cardinals on Saturday. Check back with us. We'll have more next week.